this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, we will be in John chapter 14. Uh, we're working our way through John's gospel in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, uh, which is often called the farewell discourse. These are the last words that Jesus leaves his disciples and followers on the way to the cross. And what's beautiful about it is it's, it's a good time for us to just come together as a community and say, what do we actually believe and what's amazing about these chapters is Jesus lays it out for us. And so today we're going to look at believing Jesus about the Holy Spirit. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, uh, this isn't about how much uh, I've prepared or whether or not we read our Bible before we got here, or, or uh, how much work we've put into today, uh, but God, that you would move because we can set up chairs and we can sing songs and we can open your word and we can shake hands and we can make coffee and we can do kids ministry, but Holy Spirit, if you are not here to point us to Jesus in his glory and his love and his mercy and her, his kindness, Lord, it is a waste. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and teach us. We need you to come and show us the truth in God's Word. We need you to show us what Jesus has done and what He's done for us for His glory and in His sovereign grace for our joy. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask and beg and plead and invite that the actual reality that a church is the holy temple of the Holy Spirit would be plain and obvious to us today as we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to be with us, please. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name, for your glory and for our joy. Amen. Okay, so we'll be in John 14 uh, in verses 25 and 26. Uh, and what really struck me as a, as a student of the Bible, as I, as I just kept churning over these verses, we kept digging deeper and deeper, how much in these two verses is just so densely contained how much theological depth, how much Jesus is going to teach us about the Holy Spirit today in just these two verses. And I think this is really important for us because uh, the Holy Spirit generally, uh, our thinking about the Holy Spirit generally needs a corrective. Uh, maybe you don't do this, but if you go to like a rockabilly show or an old-timey music show or something, a lot of people who don't know anything about the Bible or anything about Jesus like talking about the Holy Spirit, and often they'll even say the Holy Ghost from the King James translation. And there's a sense of, well, that's sort of, we kind of are doing sort of a, a southern-sounding thing, and, and in this music and in traditional American and Americana music, you talk about the Holy Ghost. So let's do that. But it's empty and void, and it, does, it just is lacking. It sort of has a sense that, that what's being portrayed on, like, you know, on TV about the Holy Ghost and things like that are, 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 is real to these people, but they don't know who he is or what they're saying or why they're saying it. Um, there also is this reality that in Seattle we have a very strong New Age kind of movement, and there are people going to say, well, key or chi or energy or the Holy Spirit or this or that or the other, and they're going to treat him like the force. And so there's sort of a theology of the Holy Spirit as the force uh, where, you know, he could do stuff. You could do stuff with him or he's like some kind of power you can channel into yourself to do something with. But that's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God himself, a person to be worshipped. And unfortunately, within the church, I think we also need a corrective. Because we do one of a couple things. Our tendency is one of a couple things. One we kind of go in a wrong direction with him. There's been 
movements of people, you know, if you send me some money, I'll send you some, some snake oil and the Holy Spirit will heal you. And then the reaction to that, uh, sort of that Holy Spirit for hire mentality or, or, or overemphasizing what he does and not who he is has made some go in the wrong direction. And then on the other side, others are just because they, they want to be so clear that we're not going over in this weird direction. We just don't talk about him at all. We don't talk about the one who Jesus said another helper is going to come. We don't talk about the one who Jesus said he's going to teach you all things. We don't talk about the one who Jesus said he's going to call all things in remembrance to you. We don't talk about the one that Paul said in Romans 8 that God is going to come and dwell in you by the Holy Spirit that as Christians, God is literally with us right now. If you are a Christian, God the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ on His cross, is taken up residence inside of you, and you are never alone because God is always with you. God is always with you if you love Jesus. He's always there. His name's the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at Him and talk about Him. But man, what a gift you and I have as New Testament Christians. The gift is God. The gift of the Gospel is God. And He's with us all the time. Okay, so... The Holy Spirit is an integral part of the reality of the gospel. The gospel is human beings live in a world that God made good, that we ultimately broke, and God promised to come and fix it, and He did so by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, God Himself, to live the life I couldn't live, to die the death I ultimately deserve for all my right reasons, or for all my right actions for the wrong reasons, and all the wrong I've ever done, and all my idolatry, everything that I've made ultimate, everything I've made God in my life other than God. Jesus came to die to cleanse me from my sin, to make me God's, but not only that, He died on the cross to make me clean, you're clean, so that God Himself could take up residence inside of me. And you. It's not just me, it's you and me. You've been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ so you can live. And it's a gift. A gospel that's just about sin, just about you not sinning or you being forgiven for sin misses the whole rest of the gospel. That Jesus died for your sin so you could live. That Jesus died for your sins so you could have God taking up residence inside of you, empowering your very life day in, day out in the name of Jesus Christ. That's a gospel. Whole gospel. I couldn't save myself. God came and saved me and gave me life. And one of the main things that we get out of that gospel is that reality of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here we are. That's what I get. My wife makes fun of me because I got a fancy waterproof phone cover case, and then you can't use your phone, which means you can't use your timer, which means we're all going to have lunch later. <laughs> okay, John's Gospel. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to get up and grab one. John's Gospel, chapter 14, starting in verse 25. I'll read it, and we'll just kind of start unpacking. I'll read the two verses we're going to look at. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance of all that I have said to you. Okay, so we're going to look at three things today. What Jesus said, who the Father sent, and how the Spirit moves. What Jesus said, who the Father sent, and how the Holy Spirit moves. Okay, number one, what Jesus said. These things... This is where it comes down to reading your Bible nice and slow and paying attention 
This is the first time he's going to say this, but he's going to say this exact little phrase six more times as we work through the next couple of chapters. And I'll point him out. These things. Uh, it probably means the immediate context of what he's talking about, but would not exclude necessarily the whole of his teaching. But what did we talk about last week? What was the teaching he just said last week? I'm not going to leave you as orphans. What else has he said in 13 and 14? I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. But his kingdom is going to come. The reality of God is going to break forth through that cross. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Now what's amazing is we miss it. They missed it and we often miss it. We miss these promises and these truths that are just available to you and I as Christians. They're just available to us in God's word. We live in a time and a place where by God's grace, so many people are even, you know, in, in North America, we're, we're literate. Not only that, we have the Bible. And it's not in Latin. Latin is hard. It doesn't make any sense. We've got Bibles we can read. Not only that, we live in a time and a place where people can actually go other places and teach other people to read who can't read, and they can have the Bible too. Amazing. But specifically here, these things are all these promises, and specifically these promises of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a pattern in prophetic literature, prophetic literature, the writing of the prophets, to say things with a pattern, to, to come back to ideas. In the day of the Lord, 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 thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. And to a Hebrew hearer, when you start hearing a pattern, these things I say to you, we're in a prophetic tone. And that's not that Jesus is just a prophet and not God, because he's God, but that he's really speaking the truth of God over them and to them and ultimately for us in that. Again, these are dense little words here. But there's this huge shift that's happening in John's gospel. So the first half of John's gospel is all about the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son. The Father sent me to do this and I'm doing these things in his name, and he sent me, and the, the God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And here in 15, 16, 17, 14, uh, as Jesus has begun to talk about the cross and the fact that he's going to go, which didn't make any sense for them, that can't be reiterated enough. Their idea was Jesus was going to come in as a king, he's going to beat up the Romans, kick them out, they put a crown on his head, and he'd be the Messiah that would rule in Jerusalem, and everything would be put back the way it's supposed to be. Except for the problem with that is that kings don't ever actually put things back the way they're supposed to be. It has to be bigger and greater and grander than this. He is the king who will rule in Jerusalem. He is the king who will be crowned. But we're in the now and the not yet. The kingdom's breaking through and it's coming. But he's making the switch from his ministry that he's doing to the fact that he is going to die on the cross for our sins to save us from ourselves. And on the other side of the cross, absolutely everything is going to be different. Everything's different on the other side of the cross. I mean, even when we looked at last week, he said, the Spirit's now with you, but he said after the cross, he's going to be in you. So God's around the believer, but he's not in the believer. And in that cleansing and that making us holy and right and perfect, God's going to take up residence inside of us. That's a big deal. That's a shift. That's a change. Uh, and, and the biggest part of this shift is it's, the language is going to shift from Jesus talking about himself and the Father to the Spirit's movement. The Spirit's movement. Okay. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, 
The Holy Spirit. We'll come back and talk about those two words here, three words. Whom the Father will send in my name, who will teach you all things. Who is the Father going to send? Well, it's a sermon about the Holy Spirit. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. Surprise, surprise. But it's important. We understand that we have a missionary God. We have a God who sends. God has sent his son to save us from ourselves. God has sent the spirit to empower the church. He's not left you alone as orphans. And he has sent the church, empowered by the spirit, to take the word of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Now, some of us, Lord willing, will actually be missionaries, meaning you will leave here and you will leave your home and you will leave everything to go tell somebody about Jesus. And I want to be careful not to denigrate that and just say, oh, we're all missionaries. It's cool. You're all missionaries. You go to your plumbing job tomorrow where you get to go home to a home-cooked meal and your wife and your kids and whatever and everything's fine and normal. No, there are people who lay everything down and leave their context and leave what's comfortable and go somewhere else to tell people about Jesus. And I also think it's really careful, important that we don't just think of that as an American activity. This is a Christian activity. Do you know that the church in Korea is sending missionaries to us? Praise the Lord, we need some help, right? This isn't something we condescend and do and send people somewhere else to come do it. We don't, we're, um, it's not just Americans sending people to Cambodia. It's the church sending people from wherever they are to lay down everything they have to go do God's work somewhere else, okay? But you need to see that we have a sending God, the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. It means when you go to do that, you're not alone. But here's the deal, right? So maybe you are a plumber. Maybe you aren't even going to go to Canada, right? Maybe this is it, right? You don't have a passport. You're not going to do it. It's far, far away, an hour and a half. But then you get to the border, and it's another hour. So it's two and a half hours to White Rock. There you go. Maybe you never leave Seattle. I don't care. You're going to go talk to somebody tomorrow, I bet. Somebody who needs to hear about Jesus. We have a sending God. And, and I can't say this enough. There are people that you can get to that I can't, won't, period. There are people I can get to you can't. There's people you can get to I can't. Uh, as a pastor... Uh, you know, doing this is my gig. I love my job. I'm so thankful I get to spend so much time with the community and with Christians and making disciples of Christians and helping people grow in their faith and come in here. And most of us on a given Sunday are Christians and I get to teach the Bible because we need this. I need this. I need to hear the truth again and again and again and again. But when I worked as a dishwasher, when I worked as an expediter, which is a fancy name for a guy who's not a real waiter but brings plates to the table. Thank you. Have a good day. Um, <laughs> The reality is, is that at that point in time, I was so exposed to different people who would say things like, wait, you're a Christian? But you? You work here in Fremont. Like, you believe the Bible? Yeah. Whole Bible? Yeah. Christian. Believe the Bible. Love Jesus. Believe the Bible. And the thing about it is they knew me, right? And I was pretty upfront about being a Christian from day one, which meant I got to have thousands of fascinating conversations with people. I even worked as a guy who took cards at the, uh, at the bar, which was a horrible job. Uh, wouldn't do it again, but they let me read my theology books for class. Thomas Aquinas, huh? Yep, 
and then you'd talk to people. And then they'd, instead of going into the bar, they'd sit there and talk to you because they're so weirded out. But it was awesome. End of the day, there's people you can get to, I can't. People I can get to, you can't. But the reality is the same Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, has sent us to them. He's sovereign. There's no accidents in your life. It's this grace and mercy to these people that are, you're interacting with, that he sent you to them. And you can think, well, if I, I'm, well, I didn't read Summa Theological by Thomas Aquinas. So what? Who cares? We're all learning about Jesus together. We're all students of Jesus. We're all students of the Bible. We're all Christians. You don't need to have the same equipping that I've got. And I don't have the same equipping you have. I don't have the experiences you have. I don't have your life. I don't have your story. But we get to carry the truth. Everything was good. We broke it. God's fixing it. The kingdom is coming. Jesus is king. He's real. He's true. We have ascending God. Now, Jesus says something really fascinating here. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send... In my name. We talked about in my name a little bit last week. And we're going to talk about it a little bit more. So in my name doesn't just mean like, hey, tell the disciples I said, hey, when you see them. Right? Like that's, that's not what it means. Uh, to a Jewish ear, to Hebrew ears, in my name really means like as my representative in this case. Right? He's not, the Spirit's not the replacement. He's the representative. He's the one manifesting the presence of God to the church. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I've said to you. Can you see how it is valuable to read our Bible slowly as students of the Bible? This is dense. There's more in here. We could, we could mine this all week, for goodness sakes, but we won't. We'll have lunch someday. Um, okay, so who do you say? He sent the Spirit. And let's look here. What's amazing about this little section is that in this little section, in these two verses, we have the three primary ministries of the Holy Spirit represented here in just these two little verses. Right here, the three primary ministries of the Holy Spirit are representative here. And, and so how, who the Spirit is, but we've got to talk about who He is, because here's, here's our big problem. Okay. Here's our big problem. Um, I'm not, I'm a continuist. I, I think God's moving. I think the gifts that were available in the New Testament are available today. But I think in the 20th century, we got so obsessed on gifts. We got obsessed on what the Holy Spirit does and not who he is. And in fact, we even got obsessed on a particular way in which he moves. And we missed everything else he does. And so this isn't a sermon on Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 13 through 15. So we're going to talk about the global, like that, I mean the broad ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says this, but the helper, these four things he says of him, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the one who's going to teach, and the one who's going to call to remembrance, right? <clears throat> this word, whew, this is where I hold everything back from nerding out extensively about one little word, parakaletos. If you've ever read a book on the Holy Spirit that's a theology book, a kind of cookies up, or up on the shelf where you like, where you have on one, you got your Latin dictionary. Because why does he keep saying Latin words? I don't know what he's talking about. You've got your, you're actually just using, when you're you, you're me. And when I'm me, I'm using Wikipedia <laughs> to look up the Latin words quickly. Um, but you may have heard the word uh, paraclete, 
Paraclete is a fancy theological word for the Holy Spirit. Why we can't just call him the Holy Spirit in a fancy theological textbook? I don't know. I guess you got to prove to people you know how to use the big words, right? You're, you're paying the price of admission. This is a, a graduate-level textbook. We'll call him the paraclete here. Oh, okay. So then when you hang out with the other friends, you can use words like pericope and paraclete and other fancy words. But it comes from this word parakletos. Now, here's the problem with the word. Here's the problem with words. Have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit referred to as the comforter? Probably. Parakletos is the word that Tyndale, the first guy that translated the Bible into English, used for that word, comforter. Now, here's the problem, and we looked at this a couple weeks ago. This happened with Tyndale again. It happened to Tyndale a lot, and we might have to point it out because you get weird stuff in your head, and i got to help you not have weird stuff in your head because I have weird stuff in my head, too, and I want it gone, too. Uh, having said that, comforter, uh, the way we think of a comforter, like someone to come alongside you and be like, oh, it'll be okay, it's great, which is awesome and great and wonderful, right? We all need comforters. I need comforters. I need people in my life who will just look me in the eyes, tell me the truth of Jesus, and tell me that everything's going to be okay. Not denigrating comfort. Not denigrating that kind of comforter. The only problem is, that's the word that's used in the King James. The King James sticks around. That's not what this word means, is the problem. So it's not that I have a problem with the idea even the Holy Spirit would have a ministry like that. That's just not what the Bible says. Uh, if you're in the SV, it's got the word helper, and the problem is all these words kind of fall short because there's two big meanings that Jesus and John have in mind as they write this. One is a legal advocate, someone who comes for you in the court and says, no, man, he didn't do it. You got an advocate in the Holy Spirit. You got a helper in the Holy Spirit. You got someone who's going to defend you in the Holy Spirit, not just comfort you, but defend you. It's good to have a defender, the paraclete. Not only that, it's a friend who comes to your side in the non-technical, less, less uh, legal context. A friend who comes right alongside you. And, and the cool thing about the Spirit is that Jesus has said in 14 and 6, I will send another helper, Parakletos. Okay, so who, what does that mean? Why would he say another helper in 14 and 6? Because we have a helper. We have an advocate. We have a defender. His name's Jesus Christ. We did talk about this last week, but honestly, we can't say this one enough. The reality is, as our defender who paid the price for our sins, the reality of the gospel is that God is not keeping a, a scorecard on you, and at the end of the day, he's going to give you a B or an A. Well, she read her Bible, and he sang some songs. Oh, that guy made it to church. Oh, that guy cut that guy off. California stopped, minus 10 points. Your grade for the day, son, is A plus, B minus, C. Try harder tomorrow. We have a sense that, well, yeah, today sucked, and today i got to try harder. Yeah, we got to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. Absolutely. I'm not saying that we, we, we blow off sin. I'm not saying we don't repent. I'm not saying we don't change. But you need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers the change. And God is our defender. Jesus Christ looks at your sin before the Father and says, paid in full. Yep, California stop, paid in full. Yep, that thing, paid in full. Oh, that thing over there, paid in full, forgiven. As Christians, we are operating as blood-bought, forgiven people. You're forgiven. Now, that forgiveness is the fuel on the fire for repentance. 
That's the fuel on the fire for me to say, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, and I'm accepted. And because I'm forgiven and loved and more radically accepted by Jesus Christ than I can possibly imagine, that means that I don't have to talk to someone who I've sinned against and say, oh, you know, I, uh, I don't need to make a bunch of stuff up because it's not about whether or not they say I forgive you. It's, a, it's the fact that I stand in the reality as a forgiven person because I'm an advocate and defender of Jesus Christ. But through the gospel, not only do we have him as our advocate and our defender and our helper, we send another helper. We get two out of the deal. Jesus and the Spirit. And even though he's gone to heaven by the time the, the cross happens, comes at Pentecost, another helper. We're not left as orphans. We're not left alone. And this is the gospel. I didn't do anything to earn it. It's grace. Another helper. The Holy Spirit. This is about his character. He's holy. It's hard for us to imagine holy, particularly in a world where we think of things like, well, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, which is a very hard thing to define at the end of the day. It sounds nice, but it's a very difficult thing to define. You can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anybody else. Uh, ooh. Define hurt anybody else. That's a, that's a hard one, right? But we kind of have the sense of, well, that's true for you, and this is true for me, and blah, 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 blah. And so we have trouble defining holiness. Someone who's absolutely perfect all the time. Absolutely right all the time. Not this guy. Not you guys. The Holy Spirit. He's holy. So he's a helper, and he's holy. He says this, he's going to teach you. Teach you all things. So I, I, I have my Bible here. This is my preaching Bible. Because I make a bunch of marks in it, it's no good for me as a reading Bible. And I have in the front, not that you need to know how I get ready to preach a sermon, but when I stand over here, and I'm trying to remember to actually come up instead of just singing, and I, and I open my Bible, I, got, I have this little thing, right? I have this little thing here. Uh, if you care, the first thing says, and this comes from a hymn, when Jesus says yes, the answer is never no. It's a good thing to remember, right? The next thing I read to myself is, I preached as, an, as never, this is uh, Robert Mary Machine, I believe. I didn't write his thing down here because no one's checking my notes. There's no footnote in my Bible here, but I believe it's Robert Mary Machine. Uh, I preached as never sure to preach again. No, this is Richard Baxter. And as a dying man to dying men. Next, it says, and this is Murray Machine, it's not so much great talents that God blesses as likeness to Christ. And I remind, remind myself of these things. But this is the one thing I want you to actually hear. That This is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. The power that is the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Praise the Lord. Otherwise, men would be the converter of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted because he's from England in the 18th century, till we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the Word of God to give the power to convert the soul. This is a sacred task, whoever stands here. Not because I am sacred or holy, but because it's my job to stand up here and say, this is what God says, and trust the Spirit to move. Because it's not this guy. If you leave here convicted, if you leave here feeling you need to repent about something, if you leave here a Christian and you walked in not a Christian, it's not this guy. It's not Pastor Joe 
It's not Eric. It's not Ian. It's not Brian. It's not Tim. Any of the guys we've had preach. It's not us. This isn't our church. It's not our power. We're part of the church. God's power. God's word. Who's the teacher who makes it happen? God's spirit. Now, can you see if we get distracted and only rest in Romans 12 and uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14? We miss so much of what the Spirit is doing. And by the way, friends, how much does this apply as you're sent tomorrow at lunch on the playground at the play date, at school, at home, on the phone, or wherever you are? So what is this whole Christianity thing? Oh, God. I, I should have read the stupid Tim Keller book. Oh, goodness, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? Tim Keller is not the converter of souls. John Calvin is not the converter of souls. Spurgeon is not the converter of souls. Augustine's not the converter of souls. Fill in the blank, and neither are you. Praise the Lord, sleep well tonight. That's how I sleep well as a t- preacher. I get up here and I fumble over my words and I forget a point point. I miss a thing and I go home and I could sit there and I could sulk because guess what? Every week, every preacher everywhere screws up. You might not notice it. Every week, every preacher everywhere screws up. Every Bible study teacher screws up. Every community group leader screws up. Everybody screws up all the time. Now, I'm not saying it's sinful screw up. I'm not saying it's disqualifying screw up. I'm just saying you miss the things you thought you were supposed to say anyways. And what's amazing is I work through that. Oftentimes I'm like, well, I forgot to say that, but forgetting to say that made this other thing that I thought was a really minor point more important. And it seems that that's what God actually wanted to communicate, praise the Lord. But I say all this to know, for you to know, you are sent, you do carry the gospel, and you're not Jesus. You're not the converter of souls. The Holy Spirit is. Okay, let's keep going. Teacher, rememberer. We don't have a word for that, do we? Uh, he's going to remind you of all things. And you watch that in John's Gospel. As you get through John's Gospel, he's going to say, oh, and then we remember this other thing that Jesus did. Oh, hey, yeah, that didn't make any sense at the time. Now I get it. On the other side, once the spirits come, once he moves, you see it throughout. Oh, oh, you mean you, get, you, you walk through the death of Jesus, right? He's saying all this stuff, and they're weirded out. And he's pointing to the reality that he's the Passover lamb. He's fulfilling Exodus. He's working through Leviticus. He's the day of a... He's doing all this stuff. They didn't know it. (laughs) It's not that they're stupid. I mean, there's things, like I said, there's things that are going to ring-a-ding-a-ding-a-ding. They would have heard him and like, oh, this is messianic. Oh, he's, he's doing prophet stuff. He's doing big stuff here. They're not fools. They're not fools. They're not stupid. But there's just some stuff that I think is just so brutally profound that it's not until after the fact you're like, the Lamb of, when John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he meant all of them, for example. And that's the ministry of the Spirit. That's what he's going to do. Okay. So I told you, now I have to prove it, right? So we talked about what Jesus said, who the Father sent the Spirit, and how the Spirit moves. But I did tell you something, right? Now this is the spot where you're supposed to keep me honest and make sure I prove to you what I actually said. These two verses demonstrate the three primary ministries of the Holy Spirit. Okay, how? What are the three primary ministries, in my opinion, of the Holy Spirit? In my opinion, I think it's more than my opinion, but in my opinion, you know what I mean? Broken human being, person. Maybe I'll see something else, and the next time there'll be four. 
um, three primary ministries. The presence of God. The Holy Spirit manifests the presence of God with us. Okay? To teach you the truth about God and who he is and empower you. Three things he does. Teaches. He's the presence of God. He teaches us about Jesus and he is the empowering presence of God in our lives. Okay. Now I've got to prove it. Uh, but the helper. Oh, back up. No, yeah, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. This is a big and powerful word. Okay? We, we live in like email world where like we send emails and text messages and things. Turns out once upon a time you didn't have those things. You didn't have telephones, you didn't have Morse code, nothing, right? You had things like signet rings. So you'd write your letter and you, you ever see Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves? There's an, a scene where they do a signet ring. Probably don't watch it. I haven't seen it in a long time. Don't Netflix that one. But they melt some wax and they take the ring and they'll doop and they send it. And the signet ring means when they open it, it counts as good as that person, which is basically an email at this point in time, right? As an, does an email talk? N no, it doesn't talk. But if you send me an email, I'm going to say that so-and-so said such-and-such, -such, right? And then I'd be fair to say that. Of course, we all have trouble interpreting what any of those things mean. Why is it all in cap locks? I, I thought it was okay. I just wanted you to know that I cared about this thing. I wasn't trying to yell. I didn't know it was yelling, right? So you get your letter and you read it and you said, oh, so-and-so said blah, 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 blah. Okay? The guy who's bringing stuff like this, that's representative of that person. Uh, and in this case, this parakaletos word, this helper, this representative idea, oh, pardon me, in the, in the my name idea. In the my name idea, Jesus come, or the Spirit comes not as a replacement, but as a representative. And I think it's even fair to say he's representing the Father and the Son, and he's the manifest presence of God in the world. And he always has been. You look in the, whole, in the Old Testament, he's all over the place. He's all over the place, starting in Genesis 1, right? He is God's manifest presence in the world. Now, sometimes we would really like it, right? Like if we prayed and, and we all had Pentecost, tongues of fire. I'm not saying God doesn't do stuff, by the way. Uh, yeah, it'd be cool. Tongues of fire, and it'd be great. And we have this sense that if he would just manifest in that way, then we could really believe. We'd really believe. He, needs, he does wild, amazing, huge things. So I'm not even trying to say he doesn't. So just get me clear on that. But we have this sense if he just did something big, did that stop Peter from screwing up after the fact? John had to go rebuke him. You won't eat with these guys. Don't you know about the cross? Ethnic lines are torn down. Pete, stop it. Galatians, it's there. That's the remix. Did that make Pete perfect? Did that give Pete perfect faith? Did he never, ever sin again? Because I think that's what we want, right? We're like, if I could just have the pillar of smoke in the wilderness, I'd never sin again. How did that work out for the Israelites? It didn't, right? God moves, and we forget. But the point is, that even when it's not flaming tongues over our head, when it's not the manifest pillar of smoke, you and I, the church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is not unreasonable in fact, it's absolutely theologically and experientially true for me to say God is with us right now. 
The Spirit is with us right now. Jesus Christ manifest through the Spirit is with you right now. Not only do I not always feel that way, that just frankly slips my mind. You're a Christian. God is manifesting his presence with you through the cross of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. You may feel alone. You're not. We worship a God of truth and not feeling. And yeah, I want you to, I want you to have passion for Jesus. I want you to have fire for Jesus. I want you to have love for Jesus. I want something when you tell someone about Jesus, even if it's other people in your community group, that a spark gets lit in your eyes. Or that his word, you just got to get in there. You just got to read some more Bible. You just got to know a little more. You got to know him a little better. I want there to be a passion and a spark in your life. But what you need to know is that that's not a, a, a thing where you're trying to get the fire lit. But that the spirit moves and is moving. And I have, I, I mean, you might not do this, right? I just want some more passion. I want to know Jesus better. Have you talked to him about it? Have you just said, Jesus, please, God, please. And kept after him. Those who draw near to God, God will draw near to them. There's a promise from James. It's a promise. This whole thing, this church, our life is about Jesus. Why do we keep our community group simple? Because we're about Jesus. We're about having a passion and a fire for him in our life. Why do we keep our Bible study simple? Because we are about having a power and a passion for Jesus. Why is our discipleship, we teach people to open the Bible with somebody else, ask some questions, pray for each other, and point each other to Jesus. Because the whole thing that we do, everything we do, is about having a passion and a love for God. That when we talk about Jesus, when someone talks about Jesus, there's a fire in their eyes because there's nothing more important. And man, you just got to keep putting kindling on that fire. You want that fire? You in his word? You in community? You in fellowship? You pray? We live in a time and a place where we feel so busy. The Holy Spirit's with us, and we're not even paying attention. He's with us. Uh, Wayne Grudem uses this example, why we don't always feel the manifest presence of God. This is Wayne Grudem. I'm ripping him off. Wayne Grudem, ripping him off. Footnote. Ding! It's like going to the mall with somebody. You want to go to the mall? Where I come from, the mall. Definite article. The mall is Bellis Fair, Whatcom County. That's the mall. It's not a mall. It's the mall. Like the Linden Fair is the fair, not a fair. Right? And so you go to the mall because you live in Bellingham and you're 12 and there's nowhere else your mom will drop you off, which is dangerous, mom. Sorry, don't do that. If you move to Bellingham, Bell's Fair, not the place for your 12-year-old, by the way. That's a, just, that one's just free. <laughs> there it is. So you go to the mall with someone. Hey, you want to go to the mall with me? Me and Pastor Joe go to the mall. We go to the mall all the time. Um, I, I can't keep them away from the mall is the problem. He always wants to be arrogant. They can't keep him away from the mall. Those guys love the mall. So we're at the mall, and I just ignore him. And I go do something else. Go find some other friend. Do some other thing. It's not that we're not at the mall together. It's just that I ain't paying any attention to him. What happens when you don't pay attention to someone? They feel, you know, they don't engage you either, right? 
It's not that the Holy Spirit's not with you. You're just not paying attention to him. He's with you. It's a fact. God's with you. It's a fact. You've got to put some kindling on the fire. The presence of God manifests by the Holy Spirit in my name. Okay. Ministry number two. Oh, man. Let's go to Romans 8 before we go there. This is well displayed by Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, now hear that. Not three gods, one God, three persons, manifest presence of the Spirit. If you can say that the Spirit is in you, you can say that Jesus is in you. And if you say that Jesus is in you, you say the Spirit is in you. And if, you, if they're in you, then the, Holy, then the Father's in you. And it is awesome. Welcome to the Trinity. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, as it is right now, our bodies are wasting away. We get sick, we, get, we die, all kinds of things, right? Won't always be that way. But though our body... Is wasting away. The spirit is life because of righteousness. Not your righteousness, his righteousness. It could be the worst week of your life. You do not stand on what you did or didn't do, but on what Jesus did and didn't do and his righteousness. That's the gospel. Uh, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, whoa, Trinitarian, him, in this case, is God the Father, if the spirit of him, now, again, I, I can't bang this old drum enough, so I'll keep banging it. Read your Bible slow. I would even add to that, as a Bible student, pay attention to your pronouns. A pronoun, by the way, because I had to look that one up on Wikipedia, is him or they, something that replaces a noun, which is a person, place, or thing. Or to really remember, a naming word, something that replaces a naming word. And... Someone who really likes English is bummed out right now because that's not, that's how you remember it, but not how you learn it. Um, okay, so here's our pronoun. If the spirit of him, that's God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. The spirit dwells in you is going to give you life. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, what we do, do not do, to live according to the flesh, for if we live according to the flesh, you will die. Sin kills. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons, on purpose, sons of God. This is a classic example where he's using the word uh, uh, weos. He could have used the word technon, child, children. Uh, there's a, number, a couple other words he could have used there. Why did he use sons? We missed this. And this is why it's really important to leave the Bible like it is, translate right out of what it is. So we can feel like, oh, that feels like it's excluding the, the ladies. And it's not. It's actually including the ladies. And here's how. So in the first century, only sons get an inheritance. Only sons are really, really part of the family. Daughters tend to get married. And that doesn't mean the dads didn't love them and whatnot. But the daughters get married off to other families. What it's saying is all y'all are full inheritors of everything you get in the gospel, whether you're male or female. That's why Paul uses that word there, sons. It's not supposed to be exclusive, it's inclusive of everybody. If you are a Christian, you are indwelt by the Spirit and you get everything. Okay, teach. This one's easy because he just says it for me here. Uh, but the helper of the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. If your Bible is confusing... My Bible, I don't know if you got the other Bible, but my Bible's confusing sometimes. You're not supposed to eat your Bible, Joe. Yeah, that's just a 
I have found that when I hit a Bible problem, usually it's me. It's my lack of understanding. In fact, I'm going to say it's always me. Uh, but praying and persisting and asking the Holy Spirit for help. And, I might add, going to places less confusing to make sense out of the thing that is confusing. But at the end of the day, the promise of Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, Old Testament, was that though the people of God, who treated God their husband so poorly and broke his teaching, the Torah, that one day God would come and write the Torah, his teaching, on our hearts. Uh, the words usually translate a law because most Bibles are trying to have one word. Torah, law is, um, uh, it's one of those things where it's not less than, it's more than. Yeah, it's, it's obedience, it's the commandments, but it's also who God is and what he's like and who we are because of him. And in the New Testament, on this, in the New Covenant, in the new way God's relating to people, he made a promise in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 that he was going to write that Torah on our hearts. How does he write that Torah on our hearts? The Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you. Hey, somebody's awake. All right. Woo! I like that. He gives us a new heart. Fulfilling what? Ezekiel. Take the heart of flat, stone. I want the flesh heart, not the stone heart. Take the heart of stone, give a heart of flesh. How does that happen in the Spirit? It's the Spirit's movements in our life. It's life. Again, the gospel is not just, it is absolutely, you've been forgiven for your sins, but the rule and reign of King Jesus has come, and it's rule and relationship, and he's made us new to be in right relationship with him, living in his rule and reign. He changes us. Do you need to be changed? I need to be changed. I need to be changed every day. The longer I live as a Christian, the more change I need to see in my life. And you know what? The more I can see that God has changed me, the more faithful he has been to change me, how faithful he has been to refine me, how is he refining us, the Holy Spirit? Why? Because he's teaching us all things. Right? You don't need me. The office of the pulpit, again, being a preaching pastor, being a pastor, Having church come together. I'm a firm believer. This is what Christians have done forever, ever, ever. Come together. Yes, on Sunday. I think the earliest account that I had a PhD in history tell me about was some Roman guards saw some Christians come together on the beach in Ephesus. And he said, and they came together, and they sang some songs, and somebody talked about Jesus as if he was a god, and then they went home. Well, that sounds kind of familiar. <laughs> right? The synagogue thing. They did it before Jesus even. We're just picking up the family tradition. Okay. But at the end of the day, if I get hit by a bus, does Anchor Church get to keep going? The answer should be yes. Absolutely. If I stop preaching the gospel, does Anchor Church get to keep going? The answer is yes. Absolutely. Okay. Because you don't need me. Yeah, not everyone's called to this job. In fact, he says scary things about people who are called to this job, about millstones being tied around your neck, being judged harsher, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Things. Those are the things that do keep me up at night. Um, if I get hit by a bus, Pastor Joe's going to be doing just fine next week preaching the gospel after he preaches my funeral. Why? Holy Spirit. Why are you going to be okay if he gets hit by a bus too? Sorry, Joe. Holy Spirit. 
if Anchor Church ceased to be, if every church in Seattle ceased to be, if you couldn't find a fellowship of people to do this with and you were by yourself, you would still learn why. The Holy Spirit. Now, we've been given the gift of community. This is absolutely to be members of a church. We belong to each other. Except, you know, we belong to each other and we take care of each other and we point each other to Jesus and it's super important and there's value in the office of elder and preaching is an old-timey thing that God instituted early on. But at the same time, I think often of the guy who got thrown in the USSR prison for preaching the gospel. He was thrown in solitary confinement five years. They let him out. What does he do? First thing he does, stands on a street corner. In the beginning was the word, and they throw him back in prison. And he was okay because he had the spirit. And he kept going because he had the spirit. Uh, which leads to our third point. He empowers us. How do you read the Bible? How do you understand the Bible? How do you say Jesus is Lord? How do you get out of bed for the glory of God? How do you live your life in Jesus? It's not spiritual push-ups. It's not you trying harder the right answer to I have a sin problem is not I have a book you should really, really read. You ever get that one? Talking about the worst mistake I ever made as a community group leader. A dear friend said, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I feel lonely. And I said, I have a book you should read. And he did the most loving thing, I think one of the most loving things in all my ministry. He looked me right in the eyes and said, I don't need a book, I need someone to pray for me. Oh, thank you, Jesus, the answer's not a book. Thank you, Jesus, is the answer not. Just balance your checkbook and everything will be fine. Here's 10 steps to a better you. The answer is, Jesus, I'm dependent on you. I'm empty-handed. I need you. That's true biblical strength, by the way. Because guess what? We are all empty-handed. Struggling? Anywhere? Feel like you can be a better dad, better mom, better wife, better husband, better worker, better friend? So often our answer is, I should really be a better employee. I'm going to try harder and show up earlier tomorrow. And yeah, if you're showing up late to work, you might be ripping off your boss, and maybe you should show up earlier. But the thing's going to fix you as an employee, dad, wife, husband, whatever, friend, isn't that you try harder. Because trying harder, you only got so much stamina for try harder. It's depend on Jesus more through the Spirit. Go with me to Ephesians 5. 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this understands two things. One, you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to do your life. And guess what? Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't always look like fireworks. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is life full of love for God and for others. And yeah, I'm not saying he doesn't do big stuff. Don't hear me wrong. I'm just saying we live normal, pedantic, boring Christian lives and they're not boring, pedantic, or normal at all because we have God with us. Okay. The other thing that's amazing here is he says that you can know the will of God. Now, I don't think what he's referring to, there's sort of two references to the will of God. Uh, there's tomorrow at 7 a.m., you will have scrambled eggs and a side of bacon. 
And if you have that breakfast, you're like, oh, he's a prophet. No, I'm just rambling. There's the other will of God, which he's com- clearly communicated to us in his word, right? That you're not necessarily living in. I, I can say to someone who's stealing, the will of God for your life is not to steal. And that's not me like being overbearing. That's me going to the Bible and says it says, don't steal, stop stealing, right? I can, I can tell you and you can know it. And the amazing thing again is that the Holy Spirit then, who's God's presence, who's our teacher, empowers us to live out the teaching he teaches us. So you're not left alone as orphans. Remember from last week. So the Holy Spirit is God. And he's personal. You can talk to him. Uh, Panuma, that little word there for spirit. It's, we don't have this in English, so it gets a little hard, and I don't want to over-grammar you the 11th hour, but it's in what's called the neuter, which is what you kind of talk about spiritual things about, right? He's, he's, he's a spirit, not a male, not female. Now, then Jesus goes to do a couple things. He calls him, him, pronoun, and parakletos, male. Now, the point here is not his anatomy. The point here is that he's not the force, that he's personal. So wherever you go, you go with God, Personally, the Spirit, who Jesus has given us access to and revealed to us through the gospel. And the result of this is life. Filled with the Spirit, knowing the Spirit, living for God. That's the result. And when we don't believe this, we try and do it on our own. We try and find joy on our own apart from God. That's wiling out. Uh, We try and do those spiritual push-ups. That's religion. We worship something else to find meaning and purpose. But the Spirit's come to just keep directing us back to the truth, keep pointing us back to Jesus, keep empowering us to follow, worship, know, and love Him. If you don't know Jesus, Christianity is not one of many systems where we say, hey, do these things and you'll be right with God and He'll forgive you for your sins and we can all know that you put on your Sunday best and you're great. That's not Christianity. That's not the gospel, and that's not Jesus. The reality is, in Jesus, we come with empty hands, unable to save ourselves at all, period. And that God himself comes down to get us, to save us, to forgive us, and to give us life. So if you don't know him, today is the day. Be saved. Come to life in Christ. And if you're a Christian... And we've just been living, you've just been living, depending on yourself, trying to get there on your own, feeling like God's left you or abandoned you or he's just not there, or frankly, you just forget him. And today's the day we turn from that and turn back to him and just say, Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me Jesus. Help me to know him more. Help me to be passionate for him. Help empower me to do these things. I need you. I just can't set the alarm and get out of bed early enough to read my Bible. I need you to wash me in the truth. Help me. Show me. I need you. And as Christians, we come to Jesus and say, I need you. I need you. And he sends us the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Jesus, I need you. 
Please send us your spirit. Please be manifest with us. Holy Spirit, help us not to just ditch you at the mall. Help us to know you're with us and present and that everything we do, no matter what it is, can be about you. Empower us to live, to enjoy you, to glorify you, to worship you with a passion for you. And help us just to know the truth. We're not left as orphans. We're not alone. And we're not left to do this on our own. We're left to depend on You with empty hands. And there's nothing we can do to earn Your love but that You did everything while we were not lovely. You loved us first. You loved us first, Jesus. You've saved us from ourselves. You've rescued us from our own devices, from our own sin, from Satan and from hell. We love You, Jesus. We need You, Jesus. Help us, please. Light a fire in our souls this week for you that is unquenchable. Pray these things for your glory, glory and our joy, Jesus.